Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. We're in the second week of a a sermon series called Seek First. As we enter into 2019, we want to set aside this year to be something different. Many of us, we come into our years and we long for a change, something different. And so for this year, as a church, we're going to begin by seeking what really matters. That's what our desire is, to seek what really matters this year. Last week, we talked about seeking Christ, and uh, this week, we're going to talk about discovering self. I want to begin by sharing something that, uh, that I, I heard some months back. It was actually at, at uh, Will and Caroline Clinton's rehearsal. It was, I was driving to their rehearsal for their wedding, and I heard this quote, and I really disagreed with it, and it stuck with me. I couldn't, couldn't shake it. And uh, it was in this interview, this one person being interviewed said this line. It was this, second to God, the greatest mystery I encounter is myself. So second to God, the, the second greatest mystery of my life is me. And I heard that and I go, really? Biggest mystery? Second biggest mystery? Am I really that complicated? It's like, like it really, am I, am I that special and precious? You know, there's a part of me that was thinking that. But I couldn't quite shake it. I found myself coming back to it again and again going, I actually think something about this resonates with me. Because I'm, I'm not sure about you, but there are times where I feel like a stranger in myself. Like, why did I have that response yesterday? What, what's provoking, what's motivating the decisions I'm making in my life? What, I look back at my life and think, how could I forget such a, a significant memory? What, what is the deal with me? And I wonder if there's actually something linking these two different great mysteries of God and ourselves. And what I've discovered is that this is not a new idea. Uh, in the 1400s, Thomas Akempis, he wrote this, A humble self-knowledge is a sure way to God than a search after deep learning. For those people who want deep learning, you can go and study textbooks, you can go and, 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 and follow leaders, but perhaps there's deep learning that happens when we actually become familiar with us. And it, somehow God is in there revealing God's self in and through our lives. Secondly, in mid-20th century, a Catholic monk by the name of Thomas Merton, he said this, There is only one problem on which all my existence, all of my existence, my peace and my happiness depend, to discover myself in discovering God. And if I find him, I will find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find him. They're intrinsically linked, this discovery of God and self. They're two sides of the same coin. It's not that we're as equally as important as God, but it seems to be the case that God designs us to discover God by also discovering who we really are. And if we want to pursue God, we also have to be willing to discover who God says we are. So consider, if you would, consider if someone really, really knew God, like they really knew God and sought God, but they had no clue who they were. Think about that life. Maybe they'd be great at reciting Bible passages or having a vibrant prayer life and these religious practices, but they would have very little self-awareness. 
they would have very little connection to all of this knowledge to how I actually am, maybe they would have a really difficult time relating that to other people. They would have this religious shell without much uh, internal structure. But on the other hand, think about this. If someone really knew themselves but didn't know God, like so they've done the work to discover who they were. They have the therapist bills to prove it. They have done their work. They have sought it out. But they don't know grace. They don't have intimacy with Jesus. And maybe in discovering themselves, maybe they struggle with humility. It seems to be an honest pursuit of God will also include a self-discovery. They're linked together. So last week we talked about seeking Christ, and today it makes sense for us to discover ourselves, Because perhaps they're connected. They're one and the same. So where do we begin? David Benner, he's a, an author, he said this, Knowing ourselves must begin what is known by God. That if we want to know ourselves, we must begin by knowing the self that is known by God. If we want to discover who we truly are, who we really are, it's not about what people see us as, it's not even how we even consider ourselves. We must consider God's view of us. To, to help us, one of the strongest biblical images of the soul, this mystery of us, one of, the, one of the images we have in our Bible is wells. A friend of mine who's a Jewish scholar, he taught me that when you're reading through the Bible, anytime the narrative ends up at a well, take notice. Something important is about to happen. It's interesting, even Proverbs, the, the wisdom literature of our scripture, Proverbs 20, uh, verse 5 says this, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters, but one who has insight draws them out. One who has insight, they, they've known how to, to draw out the mystery of the deep waters of the soul, of the heart. They're able to discover who they are because they have wisdom to draw out that which is mysterious and beneath the surface. This proverb is teaching us that our true selves must be discovered. It won't happen by happenstance. We must have God-given insight if we want to discover who we really are. So let's go to a story of a well. Let's go to a story of a well. In John chapter 4, in our Gospels, Jesus was going from Judea to Galilee, and the Scripture said in John chapter 4 that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Now, if you were in that day in that culture, you'd interject, nope, you don't, you don't have to go through Samaria, because the protocol was that people would walk around Samaria. There was a huge racial and a religious barrier between Jews and Samaritans. They, they did not intermix. This was a huge, huge, vast chasm between these two people groups. Yet, Jesus had to go. He was compelled to go. So he gets there, and his disciples go into town to get food, and Jesus plops himself down at a well. Take notice. And there, there's no one else there, and out comes a Samaritan woman. She comes out to get water. Now, it's noon. This is not the time where people would come to fetch water. They would go in the earlier parts of the day or in the evening when it was cooler. But this particular woman was not looking for a communal experience. She wanted to come alone. And Jesus asked her if, if she could help him with a drink. Now, she had learned to protect herself. She had learned to have a, 
a shield. Of, so she preserved herself, and she said this, you're a Jew, you're not supposed to talk to me. This, this isn't supposed to be happening. She's keeping Jesus at a stiff arm. What's your deal? What do you want? Why are you talking to me? But then Jesus starts drawing from the well of her own soul, of her own dreams and desires. This is what he says in verse 10 of John chapter 4. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And perhaps with a mixture of hope and confusion, she responded in verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water will give them, I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This woman was thirsty. Jesus is saying, the water that I give can, will satisfy, will never run dry. And so she responds in verse 15, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. She, she doesn't want to be thirsty anymore. She's so tired of coming out there. She's so tired of having that thirst. She's so tired of being, rem, being reminded that she, she's secluded from the rest of her community. She's prepped. She's ready to receive this gift from God. Okay, Jesus, land the plane. Like, she's ready. She's, the invitation has been set. She's responded. I want this water. Make the altar call. Close the deal. Right? Jesus responds in verse 16. Go and call your husband and come back. She says, I, I have no husband. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is, is, is quite true. Bad idea, Jesus. What are you doing? Like, it was there. She was, she was ready. She was willing. What are you thinking? Jesus is an awful salesman. Worst salesman ever. But the reality is that Jesus wasn't into selling anything. Jesus wasn't rubbing her face in her disgrace. I think what Jesus was doing, he was going, okay, I'm going to start drawing out of this well. You need some insight. I'm going to start drawing this out of your well. I want you to discover who you really are. Her, you see, her relational status was a place of great shame and disgrace. Perhaps that's why she came in the heat of the day. Her community shunned her. How would you respond if someone pulled up your greatest pain and source of disgrace and put your nose in it? Much like she did. She, she was really angry. But for many of us, perhaps the grace of God wants to pull that out. Not to put our nose in it, but so that we can just wonder what's going on underneath it. Maybe it's not been five spouses. Maybe it's been going through five jobs. Maybe it's going through five drinks a night. Maybe it's going through five self-help programs. Maybe it's five churches. Our thirst can drive us all sorts of places. So Jesus was drawing out of this well of her soul, where she continues to go with her own thirst in the arms of another man. But Jesus was wanting her to discover something more important. In verse 19, Sir, this is her response to Jesus doing that. Sir, I can see you're a prophet. 
Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that there is a place where we must worship in Jerusalem. So she's drawing the lines between us and them again, right? In other words, I can tell that you, you know a lot about people, but here's what I know about you, Jesus, is you don't belong here. Why are you here? And then Jesus levels the playing field once again, and he says it's not about a place. It's not about a place or a people group. Verse 23, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. It's not about this mountain. It's not about Jerusalem. It's about about worshiping in spirit and in truth. And the woman said in verse 25, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. He's going to come one day. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. The same Jesus that seemed rarely he would, he would reveal himself to the people that came to him. He speaks so clearly to this woman, this woman wrapped in shame, and says, I am him, the one that you have been waiting for. It's me. I am the one. He reveals his identity. He says, I am the Christ. It, so why did Jesus not land the plane earlier? Like, why, why wouldn't he take the easy, easy invitation? Why stir up her past? Well, what would have been missing if Jesus would have had this microwaved experience of grace and they would have went on their different, their different plans, their different paths? She maybe would have thought that Jesus was this kind Jewish man who maybe was a prophet, but she wouldn't know that he was the Christ. And more importantly, I think she would always wonder, what if? What if Jesus really knew me? Yeah, he offered me this living water, but he really didn't know my past. He didn't know what, I, what I've been going through. He doesn't know my shame. He doesn't know my disgrace. What if he really knew that? He, he probably wouldn't have offered it. Because that invitation of living water is meant for the religious. It's meant for the pure. It's meant for the people who have proved, proven themselves, but not people like me. Not people with screwed up past. Not people with failures and brokenness that I'm so familiar with. What if he really knew me? And the grace of God would probably respond, the issue is not that I don't know you, but you don't know yourself. You haven't discovered yourself. You're not a screw up. You're not a failure. You're not a disgrace. You're not used. You're not disregarded. You're loved. You're loved. You're loved. This encounter with Jesus drew out knowledge. You see how it drew out knowledge of who Jesus the Christ was, but it also drew out knowledge of who she was. The Christ that knows her inside and out, that knew about her, that this experience drew up that. And also for this woman, it drew up the reality of, I am thirsty. I have gone other places. And there is a different way of being satisfied. How do we know this about her? Well, check out what happens next in verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman, but no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? And verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. Notice, what did she tell the people? That he knows all about me. He knew everything about me. 
Jesus drew up her whole story and drew it all the way out so that grace could go all the way in. Not just to the religious surface, but all the way in. She was so transformed by this promise of the fact that God knew her inside and out and still was with her and offered her this living water. Do you notice that she left her water jar behind? Like she experienced this transformation that she left her water jar behind and she went into the town. She discovered who she was. She discovered a different way of being satisfied. And I love this. It's subtle, but it's so powerful. The same woman who went out there in the heat of the day to get away from people, she was so delivered by God's grace that she went in and interrupted people's lives and started telling them about Jesus who knows all about me. Everything, every reason why you've all judged me, he knew that and even more. And he still was with me. He still was for me. And because of her, because of her testimony and witness, people came out to see Jesus. What a transformation. What a transformation. She discovered Christ, and she discovered her true self. One not tarnished by shame and brokenness, but marked with grace and mercy and newness. So here we are in the beginning of 2019, and I wonder if Jesus might want to plop down next to you at the well of your soul and say, how's it going? Are you thirsty? I know you. I know you inside and out. Are you ready to discover who you really are? Like, how would you respond in that moment? Is there a little nervousness of like God actually revealing who you really are? Does that get you excited? Is that hopeful for you in this new year? I think one of God's greatest desires for your life is for you to discover the real you, the you that is found in God's grace and mercy. And one of the most powerful things we can do is just simply open up ourselves and say, I am who you say I am. That's it. God, whoever I, I am who you say I am. And in the midst of all of that, of our new life being marked by God's grace, then I think God will start drawing out other things into who we are, into the deep wells of our soul, other insights that might be coming from us, discovering who we really are. There are a couple things I think that God wants to, for you to discover in this new year that goes beyond just a life marked with grace, but a life marked with significance and purpose. First off is, I think God wants you to discover that you have gifts. God wants you to discover the gifts that you have. God has given each of us gifts. We, you can call them spiritual gifts or special skills or abilities, but God has given every person in this room unique abilities to make a difference in this world. A church in, in uh, the early church, a, a church in a place called Corinth, uh, Apostle Paul wrote this in a letter. He said, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them, gives them out. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Now to each, of, each one, the, manis, the manifestation of the Spirit, the way in which it comes out, the way in which it displays itself, is given for the common good. So you all have been given gifts for the common good, for, for the sake of other people, to build other people up. And when I look around, like the church at Corinth was not unique. That God has given unique abilities and gifts in this room. I see it all the time. 
Kent, I see how like you welcome people with joy. You do it with this uh, lightheartedness joy, and it's an incredible thing to welcome people that way. It's incredible. Ron, I, I love how you invite us all to, to confession just in that moment. You just stopped it. Hey, let's all do this together. You, you invite people into experiencing God in a new and a fresh way. Katie, she is behind the scenes using her gifts, making all of us on staff look good. She is so good at communication. She's so good about uh, displaying the message of, of the church in this world. It's incredible. I could go around this room and point at all the gifts that, that you all display. And I don't look at these gifts that you all have and go, oh, that's so cool that they can do that. I go, thank God. Thank God that, that God's brought us together with these unique abilities and skills that we are able to serve the city, serve one another, and do it for the common good. I mean, just the fact that we have so many skilled musicians in our community who do this, just as an overflow of their love of the church, it's incredible. We have been given gifts and it's for the common good. And I believe for us to experience the deep sense of joy and significance and meaning, we must identify the gifts and abilities that God's given us. So how do you identify your gifts? Well, you can take on online assessments, and that would kind of help you. The greatest way to, way to find out your gifts is ask the people who know you well. How has God used me? Like, how has God used me in our life together? What have you seen uh, that I do that makes a, a difference in this world? And trust the wisdom of people around you to draw out with insight the gifts and abilities that you have. So the first way is to discover the gifts that you have. Secondly, is discover the unique, not unique personality you have. This is what I mean by that, is that each of us are unique. We're, God made us one of a kind. But it also seems like God has made us in types. And some people hate the idea of being put in a box. Other of us, we, we find it helpful to know that there's certain types of people, and this is where I fall. Uh, for some people, they use the Myers-Briggs for that. There is a, uh, an ancient tool in, uh, that many people have found, especially lately, called the Enneagram, which is just a, a way of finding nine different types, ways that people are, are motivated. And it's incredibly helpful to see what's going on beneath the surface. And some people love it. Who loves those type of things that you love the idea of like, oh, yeah, this is my type? Who hates it? Don't put me in a box. I'm special. I'm a unique snowflake, one of a kind. Um, it's been helpful for me in my life, especially in our marriage, uh, because it, it's given me grace to understand that, man, we are uniquely wired differently. And rather than trying to change people in my life or trying to change uh, my spouse, and, and I know Jen tries to change me for a lot of good reasons, uh, there are certain things that are just a part of us. It's intrinsically a part of our personhood. And it's, learned, it's taught me how to give grace to Jen for being who she is. And, 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 and interestingly, it's actually taught me how to give more grace to me, for who I am. Some things that I wish that I wasn't to actually find out what's, there's actually, I pop the hood in my own soul, my own heart, and kind of go, but what's behind this? to look through the actions to see what's motivating it. I mean, it's been really, really helpful. We have some tools that we're going to send you out this week to help you identify your type if you're interested in that. And for those of you who don't care for it, delete. Don't unsubscribe, just delete it. Uh, and then the third way in which we can discover ourselves that we're encouraging you all to do this week is 
Discover the holy discontent in your soul. Another way to say this is like, what uniquely breaks your heart? I really believe that God's heart truly breaks, that God mourns it when the image of God is being destroyed in this world. Like God actually mourns it when, when people are being devalued, when, when people are hurting, when people are, are being abused, that like God's heart is actually moving and it's breaking. The reality is that our hearts cannot handle the fullness of God's heart, so God, God takes a burden that he has and he puts it uniquely in each of our lives, in each of our hearts, so that we could be an expression of God's mercy and compassion being compelled. Just the same way that Jesus had to go to Samaria, there's some people, it's because of the, the burden that we have, that holy discontent, we have to be people of compassion. And for some of you, I, I've seen you, your, your holy discontent, your heart breaks over homelessness issues. For other people, it's elderly. The fact that they're staying at home, they're often forgotten, they can't go to the grocery store. I'll drive them. Other people, you're, you have a sense of longing and a burden for uh, children who don't have a home, who don't have a family. So you're compelled to say, well, okay, we'll foster, we'll adopt, we'll help out people who foster. This is good. This is more than just being compassionate people. This is enacting the love and mercy of God that God has each of us given, it, given us. It's discovering our holy discontent as we live into God's story in this world. And know for me, my heart broke in 2004. I was in seminary, we did this class uh, where we got to go to Cuba and we got to study uh, the church in a communist country. And so it was a really profound experience to travel around Cuba when it was closed and, and experience the church and pastors and how they were ministering there. Uh, this one evening I was in this plaza and uh, this sweet girl came up to me. She must have been nine years old. And uh, in interacting with her, uh, she looked just like my childhood friend, a girl named Ebony. Like, she looked just like Ebony. Even, like, her hair was braided, and she had, like, a uh, rubber band with, like, those marbles, you know, like the uh, hair tie. And I talked to Ebony for a while, and I, I saw um, her father at a distance, and my heart just absolutely sunk. My stomach dropped when I realized that she wasn't there to be friends, but she was there to sell herself to me. Nine years old. So I realized in our broken Spanish that, like, oh, that's not her dad. And I remember just having such a visceral reaction, I just began screaming. And people on our team had to walk me away. And I just watched this sweet girl just walk to the next man on the plaza. The next man on the plaza. And that night, I went back to our hotel room, and I just couldn't sleep. I was just thinking about this girl and what happens probably every night of her life. And I'm not sure about you, but often those experiences, I just feel hopeless. What can I do? Getting back on a plane, going back to home, comfortable home. Years later, a friend of mine told me that his sister was starting an organization to help girls who are being trafficked here in central Texas called The Refuge. Talked to her. Her name was Brooke. Eventually she came to our church and said, hey, would the vine ever want to come every other month and put on a church service for girls who've been rescued from sex trafficking who are now living at a ranch outside of town. Would you guys ever want to come and just put on a church service and give a meal? I didn't have to pray about it, people. Yeah, I'll be there. Of course. Why? Because my heart was breaking. And as much as each of us have been given spiritual gifts, I think each of us have been given a tenderness to what breaks God's heart. And when we pursue that and go after that, 
I think it's not only like finding a place of service, but it's actually discovering who we uniquely are in our place in God's kingdom. That's my place of holy discontent. That's where I'm going to be in a couple weeks. What about you? What uniquely breaks your heart? As we discover our gifts, as we discover our type, as we discover uh, our holy discontent, what I think what we will also find is we are discovering Christ. We'll discover Christ in all of those things. Because when we serve people, when we serve the needs of this world, when we discover ourselves, there is Jesus waiting to meet us. Even Jesus one time, he said that, I will be in the face of the hungry, the homeless. I will be in the face of the prisoner and the sick. When you serve them, you are serving me. So as we go and as we serve, we, not only are we just people who are living in God's kingdom, but we are discovering who we really, really are. This year, discover the you that God has always known, the one he's longed to show you. You've been created by God. You've been loved by God. God has given you every gift and ability and unique desire, and God wants you to find life there. And as you go and then you discover yourself, don't be surprised if you discover Christ along the way. Let's pray together.